Good morning, brothers and sisters in Christ. Today we continue in our series from the book of Hosea. And please keep your Bible open to Hosea chapter 4, verse 4 to 9. And I entitled today's message, A Wake-Up Call to the Spiritual Leaders of the People. And probably and hopefully it will also speak to you and be a wake-up call to you and me. And the idea of the lesson of today's message is that godly leaders not only pastors and church leaders, it's anyone who is a Christian influencer who wants to really influence people for Christ. Okay? Godly leaders must lead God's people to know and obey God and His Word to live under God's blessing. Okay, let me repeat that. Godly leaders must lead God's people to know and obey God and His Word so that they can live under His blessing. And so, I begin with this idea. We know all that Christianity is supposed to be a religion of victory. And what does that mean, right? In our Christian faith, we have stories of lives change, families being transformed, parents and children, war cease, nations and kings bowing to their knee to the name of Jesus. And the good news going from country to country and into the rest of the world. And so it's the theme of this hymn, Onward Christian Soldiers, is, uh, the, uh, it talks about victory. Onward Christian soldiers marching out to war with the cross of Jesus going on before. Christ, the royal master, leads against the foe forward into battle. See his banners go. Onward Christian soldiers. However, despite this experience of victories, the church has not been exempt by its, its share of tragedies. This is true in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, in church history, and even in present times. We have our share of victories and tragedies. And so if you look at the Old Testament, the message of the prophets, it's not only judgment towards the pagan nations, but judgment towards Israel and Judah for following the ways of the, these foreign nations. And so we have this lengthy book of First and Second Corinthians where Paul addresses the many ills of the church in Corinth. And uh, in the book of Revelations chapter 2, we see this message to the seven churches during that time. And we hear about the apathy in the church of Ephesus, the persecution faced by the church of Smyrna, the compromise of Pergamum, Heresy propagating in Thyatira. Sardis was told that they were spiritually dead. Philadelphia enduring weakness. And Laodicea, their faith has become lukewarm. Five out of these churches are in trouble too. They are merely surviving, staying faithful and overcoming weakness. Okay, so in other words, Christianity in our day also suffers many tragedies. Right? And each account concludes in the book of Revelation a call to listen to the message of the Spirit of God, a wake-up call. So the question, brothers and sisters, is will your Christian story or the story of your ministry be that of a victory or a tragedy? Will it become a story of victory or a story of Christian tragedy. And that's why it's very important today that we heed, like the people during Hosea's time, the wake 
uphold from God himself. And usually when things happen, uh, tragedies happen, a leader, a famous Christian leader falls into sin, we always ask, what went wrong? Who's to blame when things go wrong? Then I'd like to share this uh, story of Joseph, Joseph Stalin. And his life is a story of irony. Why? Because this brutal Soviet ruler who was influenced by Marxist ideals during World War II okay, had been a seminary student at the beginning. He was preparing for ministry. And at a later time, he had made a decisive change from his belief in God. And this dramatic and completely reversal of Stalin's conviction resulted in his hatred for all religion. Lenin chose Stalin and positioned him in authority. But Lenin soon regretted his decision because Stalin meant steel. It was not his real name, but it was given to him by his contemporaries who fell under his steel-like determination and his will. And as Stalin lay dying on his deathbed, his last gesture was clenched towards God, a clenched fist toward God. His heart was cold and hard as steel. A seminary student into an atheist who did lots of damage to the faith, to the church. So the question is, what went wrong? Who's to blame? Now, when the church suffers decline, when members become spiritually passive, when ministries become irrelevant, discipleship is absent, spirituality taken for granted in a church, our children become rebellious and leave the faith, and the lost no longer responds to what we call good news. Who is to blame? And whether we like it or not, it calls for us to check ourselves, to check our lives. And more often than not, we realize it stems from a crisis of leadership, right? As the saying goes, strike the sheep, strike the shepherd, scatter the sheep. Now, we are not to point fingers to leaders in the Christian faith, our pastors, our church leaders who are in position of authority, right? That's useless. The point is you. Are you becoming a catalyst of change in this world? Or are you one of those who are becoming a stumbling block before others? Because godly leaders must know how to lead God's people to know and obey God and His Word so that they learn to live under God's blessing. Let's take another review at what happened during Hosea's time. Now, we know that he prophesied during the reign of Jeroboam II to the nation of Israel, the northern kingdom. And this nation is almost at the brink of exile with Assyrian invasion because they have incurred God's wrath again and again. And it's almost the end of the line for them. And we know that Hosea's marriage was somewhat God's analogy. God asked Hosea to marry a harlot, okay? a unfaithful wife. And despite her unfaithfulness, for Hosea to love her and redeem her and take her back home. To illustrate how God loves Israel despite of their gross unfaithfulness against him. And this heart-wrenching analogy will hopefully wake not only Hosea, but the people during his time 
the entire nation of Israel, especially the spiritual leaders of where have they been wrong and how they can make amends. Now, brother, sister in Christ, do you need a wake-up call? Do you need to be shaken up so that you will again go back on track towards God's purposes for your life? Now, how has the people of God went from becoming a chosen race to becoming a lost cause? So God's message to the people of Israel was very loud and clear. His warning was loud and clear. They must listen to the warning of God given through Hosea. Because unless the leaders of the people take responsibility, destruction is already knocking at their door, is close by at their doorstep. Again, as godly leaders, we must lead God's people to know and obey God and His Word so that they learn how to live under the blessing of God. And so what happened to the nation of Israel? There are three steps of increasing sin that happened to the nation of Israel. First step is the denial of responsibility. Who is to blame? Now, it's our selfish human tendency that when problems arise, we are quick to point fingers. Of course, when there are good things that happen, we are also quick to take credit, but we are quicker to point fingers fingers. Take for example in the story in the Garden of Eden, Adam was quick to blame the woman, the serpent, and eventually God because God placed the serpent there and the woman, right? And so it's just our human nature that where there comes a problem to find for a scapegoat or someone else to blame. But God warns the leaders in the nation of Israel to stop pointing fingers and own up now. Let me read to you verse 4, or you can read with me, okay, verse 4 and 5. Yet let no one contend, let none accuse, for with you is my contentional priest. You shall stumble by day, the prophet also stumble by, with you by night, and I will destroy your mother. Now before God, the judge of Israel, the accusers, the spiritual leaders of the people has now become the accused. And so God calls out three groups of people, the priests. They are the ones who are supposed to teach the law of God to the people. The prophet, they're the ones who upholds the law of God and guides the king and the people of the land to obey God. And finally, the parents. They were supposed to teach their children the way of the Lord and model obedience. And so the spiritual leaders of the people have to own up because their roles have been compromised. So we know when leaders fall, nations crumble. When leaders fall, nations crumble. So what do we do? There's a denial to take responsibility, so it calls for us to learn to take responsibility of our own sin and failures. Taking responsibility. I love this uh, fable from, uh, Kirk, uh, I think it's a Kierkegaard fable about the little red hen. And this is a children's story. And it talks about this little red hen who picked up some wheat 
wheat, and he started to think of baking some bread. So when he picked up the wheat, he asked those other barn animals, right, who would like to help me, you know, plant this uh, wheat. And so the dog answered, not I. The cat, not I. The duck, not I. Right? And so from planting to harvesting to threshing to baking, the dog, the cat, the duck refused to give any form of help, but the little hen persevered until there was bread on the table. And so finally, he asked all these other farm animals, who wants to eat the bread with me? And suddenly the dog said, I. The cat also wanted to eat the bread and the duck also. But the little red told them, no thanks. You didn't help at all, so you don't deserve anything. I will eat all of this bread. And so it's the same way we are to stop pointing fingers due to fear and pride. We are to learn to admit where we have gone wrong, and we have to make amends early. And that only happens when we come to our Lord in humility and faith. Because you and I are spiritual leaders to our own right. Parents are to be spiritual leaders of the home. Christians are to be spiritual leaders in the workplace, to be examples of a godly life character and priority. Right? And so if we are not succeeding in this area, we are not victorious, then are we a tragedy? So who will take responsibility of your Christ-likeness in your personal life? Nobody else. You need to take responsibility. How about your family? Will you wait for someone else? Of course not. How about in your workplace? Will you be that salt and light? Or in our church or in the society? Will you take the responsibility to own up for your failure and take responsibility to be the change? Right? And so, own it up, accept responsibility, and let God clean up the mess with you. A turnaround, a transformation ought to begin immediately because godly leaders and influencers must lead God's people to know and obey God and his word so that they learn to live under God's blessing. And so from the denial of responsibility, eventually we see the downfall of leaders. They get into this slippery slope. Okay, it's uh, where they keep on sliding downward and they cannot climb up on their own. Now, when I was uh, learning how to bike, I was already an adult. And because I am tall and huge, and I, was, I borrowed a relatively uh, normal bike, it was difficult for me to learn because I, I was heavy, and it was difficult to learn how to uh, push the pedals for the very first time. So my friend was teaching me how to bike, had an idea. He found a slope downward in a car park so that I can just glide down, you know, but... After thinking about it, he felt that it will be dangerous for me. So my first uh, lesson was not to balance the bike gliding down that uh, downward path, but instead, the first lesson I needed to learn was how to use the brakes. 
how to use the brakes. You know, the bike has left and right uh, brakes. One uh, stops the back and one stops the front of the bike. And so that's the first lesson I need to learn, how to make sure that I know how to slowly, you know, grab the brakes so that I know how to slow down and to stop. When I was gliding down that downward slope, learning how to bike. Now, it is when leaders ignore the wine, uh, warning signs and instead they continue out down that slippery slope of compromise and sin and corruption that they find themselves in a relatively difficult, dire situation, right? Because that is what happens when, in verse 6b, because you have rejected knowledge, I reject you from being a priest to me. And since you have forgotten the law of God, I will also forget your children. Because you have rejected knowledge, I reject you from being a priest to me. And since you have forgotten the law of God, I also will forget your children. Now, the spiritual leaders of Israel have gone to the point where they will receive the same treatment they gave to God and His truth. And what is that? Right? They have rejected the knowledge of God, so therefore God is now rejecting them. Right? He's telling the priests, no, you can no longer restore the people of God and mediate between God and man. No, the prophet can no longer uphold the law because they themselves have forgotten the law themselves. And finally, children will see the downfall of their own children. Because God will forget them since they have not taught their children the way of the Lord. The downfall of leaders. And I wonder, how will it look for you and I today where we lead? In our homes, in our workplace, in our relationships, in our ministries, in uh, where we have some level of influence, right? It's like if you are in office and you were impeached, and not only impeached, but in prison, you no longer call the shots. You're removed from office. You have no more chance to correct your mistakes. So we go back to the same question. Will your Christian life result in victory or will it become a tragedy? It depends on how we heed the wake-up call of Hosea to spiritual leaders. And so what do we do? We need to accept the consequences of our sins. We have to heed the wake up of God to arise from our slumber, take responsibility for our wrong, and accept the consequences that happen to us because of our sin. We have to ask the Spirit to give us strength to step on the brakes, to step on the brakes and unless it becomes steeper and steeper and the brakes no longer work like what happened to the spiritual leaders of Israel. So if you are addicted to porn, if you're addicted to too much technology or even certain substances, step on the brakes and let the Spirit lead you. If you are in a compromising relationship, step on the brakes now. If you are in the trenches of habitual sin, step on the brakes, get right with God and others, and let the Spirit again take control. Let the Word of God grip you and lead you. Because godly leaders must 
not only know and obey God, they must lead people to know and obey God. And only then can we live under God's blessings. Denial of responsibility, the downfall of the leaders, and finally, it will happen, the destruction of God's very people. Now, God's people, the nation of Israel, was called to be the people of God in the Old Testament, not for the purpose of supremacy. They were not called to be better than all the others, to rule the, all the other lands, right? But instead, they were called to submit to God so that they could be a blessing to the nations, so that the, uh, the, the sinful nations will see what it means to have a faithful God, and they will return to God because of this nation. But no, the Old Testament people missed the point when they rejected God and followed the gods of the other nations. The role of the leaders in the Old Testament as well of the nation of Israel, they were supposed to usher the people towards maturity and obedience to the law. But many of them were first to commit wickedness, especially the kings who brought the religion of their foreign wives. To please their foreign wives, they let the people worship the gods of the Canaanites. And so, this is the situation of Israel. They are at their worst, and the Assyrians are now being sent by God as their, the consequences for their love for sin and their hatred towards God's law. So, we see compounding depravity among the people. They're getting worse and worse. And let's look at uh, verse 6. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. The more they increase, the more they sin against me. And so I will change their glory into shame. The more they increase, the more they sin against me because of their lack of knowledge, and so their glory will turn into shame. So we see the situation of the people was that of spiritual poverty and moral decline, and it keeps escalating. That's the experience now of the nation of, uh, of Israel. They no longer have the passion to study and obey the Word of God. It has already completely gone out of their system. They got used to the practices of worshiping idols and doing the practices of the people they're supposed to lead to God. The waning influence of truth in their daily life is now replaced by humanistic perspective and priorities, by foreign influences, by foreign religions. And so it's in the Old Testament, they followed the ways of the pagan nations they were supposed to drive out from the land. And in the New Testament, they gave in to the influence of the Greek culture, the influence of the world and the flesh. And so we see from Cain to Noah, there was an escalation of sin until God saw that it was violent and he needed to send a flood to give the earth a reboot because all there was was violence. So that's the great purge, the flood during Noah's time. But now Israel faces the same problem. But now God is sending the Assyrians to, click, to do the purge in their nation. So we see that there was compounding depravity in the people, but also there was corruption increasingly among the leaders. Let's look at verse 8. They feed on the sin of my people. They are greedy for their iniquity, and it shall be like 
people like priests. I will punish them for their ways and repay them for their deeds. So the very people who are supposed to be the spiritual influencers, the spiritual leaders, the priests, the prophets, the parents, they're not the protectors of the nation of Israel anymore. They have become the predators, right? They've become the one who feed on the sins of the people and are greedy for their iniquity. And so what happens is that from drug addicts, they have become drug pushers. From sinners, they were the ones who used the sin of the people for their own gain. So it has become a very corrupt society. It's a situation like parents selling their children off for profit. Both leader and followers are bound for the same verdict. God's wrath and punishment are at their doorstep. Now let's take it to 2021 in our situation. What happens that instead the church is in the world, the world is in the church, right? What happens when there are no godly leadership who upholds and teaches God's law to the congregation? What happens when leaders value accomplishment and prestige over our spiritual impact to our community at large? What happens when Christians chase after feeling good and looking good rather than living a life that is pleasing and acceptable to God? What happens when the church becomes a mere place of entertainment than a family where you encounter God together with? What happens when ministries are just trophies of the past and accolades rather than a path for a person to find grace and truth in Jesus? What happens when families no longer carry the banner of the cross, but instead they only love the pleasures of this world? We are in a slippery slope, brothers and sisters, unless we heed the wake-up call of God. And so we need to not only learn to take responsibility, accept consequences of a sin, we have to recognize the impact of our sin towards others. And so as a Christian influencer, and that is what we're called to be as followers of Jesus, we must recognize that our moral failures and wicked deeds will not only destroy us sooner or later, we become the stumbling block to people around us. We become the hindrance to the gospel we preach to be received. Now, some explain this in the Old Testament as the curse to the fourth generation. Wicked parents, wicked children, wicked grandchildren, wicked great-grandchildren. It's the same way. Now, when the people see that our leaders lack passion for the Lord, how can they learn what is passion for God? When the parents do not really put God first, how can children learn what it looks like to put God first? When our love for God is not obvious to our co-workers, to our employees, how will they learn what it looks like to be really passionate and in love with Christ? Right? And so, they are now going to suffer the same verdict as the leaders, people and leaders, are bound to the exile of the Assyrian Empire. This is the reminder of God through Hosea chapter 4, verse 4 to 9. As godly influencers and leaders, 
we must lead God's people to obey God, to know and obey God and His Word, so that we live under the blessings of God. So how do we turn a tragedy to a victory so that sin stops to reign in our lives? How do we do that? Right? How? We said that you are down the slippery slope when you deny responsibility, which will lead to the downfall of leaders and eventually the destruction of God's people. And we step on the brakes as we learn to accept responsibility for our sins. We accept the consequences of our sins and recognize its impact to others in repentance before God. Right? But that's not the only thing. We are to surrender to the Holy Spirit's transforming power. We are not only to step on the brakes, we are to let Jesus take the wheel. We are to let Him drive our lives. That's the surrender required for you and I. An Old Testament example of stepping on the brakes would be that of King Josiah. Josiah was eight years old in 2 Kings 22 when he became a king. And on his 18th year as king, he commissioned repairs in the temple. And those doing the repairs found the book of law. And Josiah asked someone to read the book of law to him. And he was so stricken by the law of God, he tore his robes and inquired of the Lord, what have we done? What will happen to us? And so he instituted many religious reforms. He tore down idol worship. He removed the Canaanite influences among the people. He stood for the Lord to be a spiritual leader. But sad to say, despite all of his actions, Judah was too far gone. And so later on, the Babylonians will also take Judah into captivity. Now, it's not the result that matters. It's the process, right? We, when we step on the brakes, own up to our mistakes, make amends, and return to the law of the Lord, to be the people of God, to be the people of the Word of God, right? That's our part. It's God's part to deliver or to punish or to redeem and rescue. That's God's part. That's not our concern. Our concern is where do we stand? Because the book of Isaiah, we see that God remains faithful even though we are unfaithful. So you and I must learn that we are not to be like the people of Hosea's generation who rejected the truth outright. Even the spiritual leaders led their own children astray. We need to accept the truth and its implications to our life, to our influence, to others. We need to truly be the chosen race, the royal priesthood, the holy nation, the ambassadors of Jesus we are called to be to the world. That is what matters, that we can really be the vessels of God's truth to this uh, dying and broken world that is in decay, that we may lead, know, and lead others to know and obey God and His Word so that people can learn to live under the blessing of God, forgiveness in Christ through the cross. And so we learn that you and I are unfinished business before God our Maker and Remaker.
And so Mark Batterson wrote this very interesting analogy of transformation that you and I must go through to become what God desires us to be. It is a difficult transformation, but a worthwhile one. And I'd like you to listen to this analogy. Imagine a beautiful china teacup saying, I wasn't always like this. There was a time when I was just a cold, hard lump of clay. And one day the potter picked me up and said, I could do something with this. Then he started to put pressure on me and change my shape. And I said, what are you doing that hurts? Stop that. But he said, not yet, not yet. Then he put me on a wheel and began to spin me around and around. And I shouted, let me off, I'm dizzy. But he said, not yet, not yet. Then he shaped me into a cup on that wheel and put me in a hot oven. And I cried, let me out, it's too hot. I'm suffocating here. But he said, not yet, not yet. When he took me out of the oven, I thought the work was done. But he started to put paint on me. I couldn't believe what he did next. He put me back into the same oven. And I said, I can't stand this. Let me out, please. But the potter said, not yet, not yet. And finally, he took me out of the oven and put me on a shelf where I thought he had forgotten about me. Then one day, he took me off the shelf and held me up in a mirror. And I couldn't believe my eyes. I have become the beautiful teacup that everyone wants to buy and drink from. And that is how God uses the different situations in our lives to transform us. And through it all, we are to cling and hold on to His truth, His word, His promises to Christ so that His word can transform us daily again and again, until we are a ready vessel He can use to bless others so that we can be godly influences that help others to know and obey God and His Word so that they could also, like us, live under God's blessing, that they will know Christ, receive His forgiveness, and know what it is, eternal life is, to know God and His truth and His Son. Now, allow me to close with two passages to encourage us to live by. First, we are to allow the Word of God to transform us daily. Hebrews 4 verse 12 says, The Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Brothers and sisters, take time in the Word and allow the Spirit to speak to your heart, to remove the wickedness of your heart and transform you to love God and His Word, to become more and more like your Master. But not only will you allow, are you to allow the Word of God to transform you, second, you have to be an instrument of the Word of God to bring transformation to others. And so that's what Paul said to Timothy, his son in the faith, all scripture is God-breathed 
is bred out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be equipped for every good work. And it leads me to return to our slogan as UECP, love God, make disciples. Love God by allowing the Word to transform your life, to make you a ready vessel. Make disciples. Be an instrument of the Word of God to lead others to that path of transformation. Brothers and sisters, do you need a wake-up call? And will you heed the wake-up call of God? Will your life be a Christian victory or a Christian strategy? It's for you to decide. And the decision must include God. Letting God transform you through the power of His Word. Letting God use you to transform others through the power of His Word. Love God. Make disciples. May the Lord guide you as you look to Him, to His Word during this day and age so that we can be what He has called us to be. God bless brothers and sisters in Christ.